This is Jay Baer, author of Utility, and you are listening to The Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to The Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal in this podcast is to help you discover effective marketing ideas that will grow your business. Don't worry about taking notes. I'm going to do that for you, and you can find them at marketingbookpodcast.com. Today, I'm joined by Jay Bear, and we're going to talk about his New York Times bestseller, Utility, Why Smart Marketing is About Help, Not Hype. In addition to being a best-selling author, Jay Baer is a keynote speaker, marketing consultant, and digital pioneer. More specifically, he's a tequila-loving, hype-free strategist who has advised more than 700 brands on their marketing strategy since 1994, including 31 of the Fortune 500. He got his start long ago before Yahoo even existed, leaving a career in politics to take the internet plunge. His company, Convince and Convert, helps companies craft and implement social media and content strategies. Jay's first book on social business and social media's impact on corporate culture, co-authored with Amber Naslund, was The Now Revolution, Seven Shifts to Make Your Business Faster, Smarter, and More Social. He's also the host of the popular weekly podcast, Social Pros, which I listen to and recommend enthusiastically. Jay, congratulations on utility and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Douglas, thanks so much for having me. It is my distinct pleasure to be here with you and everybody listening at home, in the car, at the gym, wherever you're got your earbuds in. That's right. Wherever they can't be taking notes at this at this time. That's right. Which is fine. Now, if they are driving, uh, we we definitely don't want them taking notes or operating any kind of dangerous machinery. That's right. That's right. We're drinking tequila. So, Jay, can you spell utility and define it? I can. Uh, utility is spelled Y-O-U-tility. And the definition of utility is quite simple. It is marketing so useful that people would pay for it. It's marketing with so much intrinsic and inherent value that if you went to somebody and said, hey, uh, would you kick in a couple dollars to receive this? They'd say, hey, yeah, you know what? I actually would kick in a couple dollars to receive that. It is marketing that people actually want to receive instead of what we've been doing mostly for the last 1,000 years, which is creating marketing that people simply tolerate. Well, let's just crack open the, uh, the table of contents here at real high level. The forward is by Marcus Sheridan, the sales lion, also with river pools and spas. And there's a great story about how uh, his company being useful has made him fantastically successful and gained a lot of happy customers for him. Then The book's only about 200 pages. It's in three parts. And the first part is about all these tectonic shifts going on in the the marketing world. And what used to be effective in marketing is not really now effective. And the second part of the book talks about utility and really the, the three main components of that. And then the last part is very focused on how to, how to implement a marketing approach like this. And there's even a handy, useful reference guide at the very end. I, I see what you did there, Jay. Well, it actually worked out amazingly well. I kind of added the reference guide at the end of the book because I thought, geez, if I'm writing a book about useful marketing, maybe I should create a useful part of the book itself. And ergo, uh, the the helpful kind of recap at the end. And, and also, 
as you mentioned, it's not a long book, and that's quite intentional. It also is cut to a relatively small trim size, so it fits into your briefcase easier. It also doesn't have a book jacket, which was very intentional. I tried to strip away all the things that make people not want to read business books now, which are it's too long, it's a it's a pain, it's too big, you know, the cover got ripped or dirty or whatever. And so I, I just sort of added that that last chapter, the kind of quick reference guide as an afterthought. And it's amazing how many people have come up to me or written me notes and said, what I really love about this book is the quick reference guide at the end. So I can tell you right now, uh, every book I ever write uh, going forward will have one of those at the end of it. Great. Well, it really, it really was helpful. Now, in the book, you talk about two ways for companies to be successful in this era, and that's amazing or useful. Talk a bit about that. Well, we are very much in a place today that worships the culture of amazing. So much of what you hear from marketing advisors and talking heads and speakers and authors is the key to success, the key to breaking through is to do something that is disproportionately awesome and amazing. Essentially, what they're recommending is to try to go, quote unquote, viral. And while that can work, I have discovered that it typically works in accident more than it works on purpose. And when you are always shooting for the home run, many times you strike out. I don't believe being amazing is actually a sound strategy because it's actually the strategy of hope. So what I tell people is stop trying to be amazing and just start being useful because useful always works. We are, we are physiologically wired to appreciate useful things. Um, useful articles are forwarded far more than other articles, for example. And if you can truly be useful, if you can create that kind of relationship with customers and prospective customers that is built on value, then great things will happen eventually. Well, let's go back in time just a bit and, and explain the transition that marketing has gone through while we've been working on it from the top of mind awareness to frame of mind awareness to what you call in the book, friend of mind awareness? Well, certainly top of mind awareness is what we've always sought out. That concept that when somebody is in the market for socks, they think of your sock company first because you've been producing a consistent stream of communications that plants your brand in their head. And so that when the need arises, they think of you first. The challenge with top of mind awareness is that it is very expensive and increasingly difficult to maintain because people's media consumption habits are so fractured now. I mean, when the concept of top of mind awareness was pioneered, there were three television stations, period, and no internet. And each town had two radio stations, an AM and an FM, and two, and two newspapers a morning and an afternoon. It was much, much easier to make a very simpler or certainly comparatively simple media buy and, and actually achieve top of mind awareness. Those days are long gone. So while there's certainly many consumer brands that still try to achieve that, hey, I need beer, I should get Budweiser, for most people, it's really, really difficult. So what we had kind of coming in behind that was this frame of mind awareness idea that, okay, if somebody's in the market for socks, what they're going to do is go to Google and look for socks. And that's where you got the whole concept of inbound marketing and findability. And that is, as you probably know, as everybody probably knows, a very effective way to market your business. If you're really good at search and you can sort of jump in front of that inquisition train at the right moment, you can build empires based on that. But here's the challenge. 
you're only playing with half of the cards in the deck when you do that. Because Google doesn't create demand. It only fulfills demand. People only go to Google when they know they need socks. Nobody goes to Google ever and says, I want to buy something. I don't really care what. Just surprise me. You know, whatever you think. Plants, socks, macaroni, piece of a space shuttle, whatever you think, right? It doesn't work like that. And isn't the percentage of the search actually going down uh, for people before they make a purchase in terms of going only to search engines? That's right. That's right. Usually search is in the set somewhere. Like when people are considering a purchase, usually search is in there somewhere. It's not always first, right? A lot of times people are using search now to confirm what they've learned elsewhere. I'll give you an example. I'm in a Facebook group for uh, people who travel a ton. And my friend Rohit Bargava mentioned something about this awesome laptop bag he had. And I'm like, wow, that laptop bag is awesome. I need one of those. Well, it turns out it's not sold in the US. You've got to get it through eBay or whatever. So I'm like, oh, that's really neat. So I found out about it on Facebook. But then I went to Google to find out where I could buy it. So search was part of that, but it didn't lead that train. It was just part of the train. So Again, inbound marketing and search is important, but it's not the whole picture. It's only half the picture. And so that's where you get to what I call friend of mine awareness, which is this concept that we trust individuals manifestly more than we trust organizations or brands, and that your company or your organization can, in fact, mock and mimic the same kind of relationships that we have with one another if you commit your brand, your organization to creating things that are useful. The premise is that our friends and our family members are useful. Well, that's not entire. Some of our friends and family members are deadbeats, right? But but (laughs) But they're still our friends. Work with me. Uh, Let's assume for for, for podcast purposes, let's assume that your friends and family members are useful and, and your company can be useful in the same way. And if you do that, your customers and prospective customers will interact with you in the same ways that we interact with one another, right? They'll go to your webpage and they'll follow you on social media, and they're subscribed to your email newsletter, and they'll keep your app on their home screen of their phone. All the things that we need to do in modern business will happen if you just focus on being useful. In the book, you talk about three things that a company has to have for utility, which are self-serve information, radical transparency, and real-time relevancy. Can you talk about those and give examples of what you mean there? So self-serve information is, is perhaps the first step in the utility transformation for most brands. Marcus Sheridan, who you mentioned about the forward, is really a proponent of this style of marketing as well and has lived this dream. So I'll use him as the example. Google did some really important research a few years ago called The Zero Moment of Truth, which is an excellent marketing book, by the way, The Zero Moment of Truth. And in that research project, they discovered that across a whole array of purchase categories, financial services, travel, tourism, restaurants, apparel, what have you, that in 2010, the average American needed 5.3 sources of information before making a purchase. And a source of information could be a Google search, it could be word of mouth from a friend, it could be skywriting, it could be whatever. 2010, 5.3 sources of information. In 2011, the average American consumer needed 10.4 sources of information. So in one year, one year, our need for information pre-purchase doubled. And that's because everybody is now connected to the internet at all times, right? The vast majority of your customers, doesn't matter what business you're in, the vast majority of your customers today have a smartphone, meaning that they have access to all of the world's information at all times in their pants. So 
now there's no more friction to research. There's no barrier to knowledge. If you make a bad purchase decision now, it doesn't matter what bad, bad podcast, bad chicken sandwich, bad car, you're just lazy, right? Bad tequila. Bad tequila. It happens. Uh, you're just lazy. Like all the information you need to make a good decision is out there and people have totally figured that out. So consumers of all kinds, B2B, B2C, are hyper-researching everything in ways that would have been unthinkable just a short time ago. And in Marcus's case, uh, in 2009, he and his partners were in really, really big trouble. They owned a swimming pool company, as you mentioned, in Virginia. 2009 was a tough economic time for those kind of companies. Uh, as it turns out, if you don't have enough money to pay your mortgage, you almost never want to buy a new swimming pool. It's a very small, that, that Venn diagram barely intersects. It's, uh, it's a tough, <laughs> it's tough gig. So they're like, hey, we don't have any marketing budget. We're going to go out of business. What should we do? So Marcus said, well, what if, what if we just answered every question that anybody has ever asked us about pools and nobody had a better idea? So they started a blog and they sat down and they wrote 400 blog posts, 400. And every single one of those blog posts was an answer to a question that somebody had actually asked them about their business. And now they have over a thousand blog posts and the company has become an enormous success. And it's just because they unlocked the knowledge that was in their head that they've been giving away out of their mouth, either on the phone or face-to-face, -face, and they just wrote it down. That's the power of self-serve information. And today, today, the average new, this is going to, it's amazing, right? The average new customer for their business reads 105 pages of their blog before contacting the company. And I think he closes it like 80% of the actual sales calls they go to because they're such informed. What are you going to talk to the sales guy about? Yeah. I mean, what, what, there's no conversation. There's no sales conversation left to have. They've sold themselves. They're already educated and they know what they're looking for. They like them. They trust them. Yeah. And he's also, and we'll include this in the, the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com, but there was a New York Times article about You Ask, We Answer and his TED Talk. That's right. Uh, he did a TED Talk about that. It's, it's just, uh, it's amazing. So radical transparency. So in this era where everybody has a smartphone, what that means, in addition to having access to information, is that today, Douglas, the truth always comes out, right? The truth always comes out now. It doesn't matter. You know, Lance Armstrong, Ryan Braun, you know, crazy Toronto mayor guy, like whatever. The truth always comes out. Um, the only thing we don't know is where that one plane is. We have no idea where that plane still is. Other than that, the truth always comes out. And so what smart companies are doing is saying, well, look, if information wants to be free and there's no point hiding, why don't we just get in front of that and be radically transparent? Because transparency creates trust. And trust is the lens through which all business success must pass. Without trust, nothing else matters. Price doesn't matter. Customer service doesn't matter. None of it matters without trust. And being massively open and honest is, as it turns out, perhaps the best and fastest way to gain trust. So Monsanto, for example, is a company that is a controversial provider of, uh, of seeds and GMO and those kind of things. They took a play from the McDonald's playbook. McDonald's has been doing this for a while. I talked about it in Utility. Monsanto now has a website where you can go there and ask Monsanto any question you want about their business, about what's really going on with GMO and seeds and all these kind of issues, and they'll answer them, right? That kind of, you just ask us and we'll tell you the truth, is pretty remarkable. And it's such a big, big difference from how business has handled their business uh, for a long time. 
And given your background in politics, it's interesting how it seems like the consumer world, consumers are starting to expect this now, and governments are still having some challenges, particularly in some other countries. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we can see what's, what's happened with, with this access to information. It's, it's a real uh, disruptive force on how people are being governed, and <laughs> it's not just business, it seems like. No question. That's a great observation. Yeah, it's not only about business. It, it's about life and society and speed and nimbleness and you know our customer experience where we're going to judge what kind of cereal we buy because of how they handled our question on Facebook is somebody else's, am I going to flee this country as a refugee? <laughs> yeah. Right? Their stakes are a little higher. We, we kind of fall into the first world problems trap here an awful lot. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, but you're exactly right. The underlying trends and the technology implementation that's driving those trends are, is actually the same. Now, real-time relevancy is the third part. Can you just talk about that? It seemed like it might even be the hardest. It is the hardest because what it requires you to do is to not just create something useful, but create the thing that is the most useful. See, you are better off being massively useful in one set of circumstances than being kind of useful all the time. And so some of the very best utilities out there kind of fit this description. The one that I talk about in the book quite a bit is from Columbia Sportswear, and they have a mobile application called what not to do in the greater outdoors, spelled K-N-O-T. And it actually shows you right on your phone with animated demos how to tie different knots. So if you are camping or hanging off the side of a cliff, it is a very great utility. If you're just living your life, if you're going out to Applebee's or whatever, you're probably not looking to tie a knot. So it's a good example of real-time relevancy because under a particular set of circumstances, it is in fact the best solution. But under day-to-day circumstances, it's not useful at all. But it is so useful, but it's the kind of thing that you will keep around, that you will remember, that you'll keep on your phone, because every once in a while, you got to know how to tie a knot. And that kind of marketing requires real courage, because it pays off at times incrementally, as opposed to paying off every day, right? So it requires courage. And so that's why when we think about the utility transformation, most companies start with self-serve information. Then they kind of dip their toe into the transparency side. And the last piece is usually real-time relevancy. And last time I checked, Columbia did not sell any kind of rope. Yeah. I mean, it's, they, they don't. They're not in that business, right? They have found a way to transcend the transaction with their utility, which is certainly something that I recommend and something that my company helps a lot of big brands with is to, to give them permission to make the story bigger. Mm-hmm. That, that you don't just have to... Because here's the thing, Douglas, if you create a quote-unquote utility that is only about your products and services, we have a different name for that. It's not utility, it's brochure, right? We already have those, right? So you got to be real careful about saying, hey, here's a great utility. Well, what's it about? It tells you why you should buy our products. I'm like, well, yeah, but that's not really useful out of context, right? It doesn't really stand alone as something that you would pay for. But it's easy for companies, especially when they're just starting uh, down this path, to think of it that way. So we try and disavow them of that notion. It's interesting. My daughter, she's on the high school sailing team. Kids have smartphones. Where are they looking up to refresh themselves on these knots, you know, on that app from Columbia? And by the way, I happen to notice some of the kids wearing Columbia clothing, sports gear. So it's... It works. Yeah. <laughs> I think it really, it really does. Jay, before we wrap up, let me just ask you... Uh, a couple of questions. 
What marketing book have you read recently that you might recommend to the listeners? So the book that I really love right now that I've been recommending to everybody isn't really a marketing book, but it is indispensable for marketers. It's from my friend Rory Vaden, and it's called Procrastinate on Purpose. It just came out in early January, and it's all about how to multiply your time. The one thing that I have found in my long marketing career is that all marketers have a time problem. They always have more stuff to do than they have time to do it. It's always sort of like the 10 pounds of sugar in a five-pound sack routine. And this book is the antidote to that. It really is a very practical and kind of a game changer in terms of how you think about time and what you spend your time on. You will be a more efficient marketer and frankly, a more efficient person after reading that book. That's great. And the time thing comes up in talking to marketers so often because they see all the new and different things they need to do or a company sees senses this, like starting a program of being very useful. And I, I often hear them say, we just don't have time to do that, <laughs> which really is more of a priority statement that they're making. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's just it. Rory has a great line in the book that I will paraphrase here. He says, there's no such thing as being busy. And he says, if you're busy, it just means you're worse at saying no. Hmm. We'll have to link that up. Are there any marketing books on your upcoming reading list that you're looking forward to exploring? Yeah, there's always tons coming out. But one that I'm really particularly interested in is from our mutual friend, Mark Schaefer, who has a book coming out in April called The Content Code. And it's all about the dynamics and mechanics of why some pieces of content do very, very well and other pieces of content that are seemingly similar don't do as well. So it, it gets into the science of virality and the science of sharing and whether or not that quote-unquote being amazing level and layer uh, really matters. So I'm looking forward to that. Wow, that's great. And uh, we'll link up to his blog, which is businessesgrow.com. What marketing blogs do you enjoy following to, to try to keep up with what's going on? I read so many, or at least I skim so, so many. In fact, I wrote a blog post uh, I don't know, maybe two months ago, called the 33 marketing blogs that I read every day. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we'll link up that. And that'll be good. But you know which one? I It's not on that list. And, and you'll appreciate this. It's a new blog from an old source. My old friend, Jason Falls, who was the owner of Social Media Explorer, and then sold that company to Nicole Kelly and her husband, has now kind of reinvigorated his own blog at jasonfalls.com. And he's such a good writer and has such smart takes on business and social media. It's a really good source. So I would give a shout out to jasonfalls.com. Yeah. And actually, uh, I also saw that he wrote recently on Mark Schaefer's, not to keep talking about the same people over and over here, but he just wrote a post on Mark Schaefer's blog, if I'm not mistaken, about how he went about starting all over again. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Which I thought was really fascinating. And, you know, I just keep making more things. I'm really glad I don't have to start over again. I just kind of keep, you know, I, I do a daily video now called Jay Today. We just launched a, a couple of months ago, the very first search engine for podcasts called marketingpodcasts.com, where you can go and find podcasts of any size or shape or description. So I just keep adding new things to our media company, but I can't imagine going back and saying, okay, now you're at square one. It would be really scary to do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jay, how can listeners find out more about you and your book? The best place to find out about me is to go to our media company hub, which is convinceandconvert.com. We have eight blog posts a week, three podcasts now, all kinds of other stuff. For the book, you can find the dedicated site at utilitybook.com. 
it's sold in all the places and all the ways that books are sold, uh, audiobook including that, read by myself. And I also should note that I have two other books in the utility series that are about 75-page ebooks. They're available electronically only. There's no paper version. One is called Utility for Accountants. And the other one, which I published quite recently, is called Utility for Real Estate, all about these same kind of useful marketing principles applied to the real estate industry. But I will tell you that even though it's called Utility for Real Estate and the examples are mostly real estate companies, I think it's the best thing I've ever written. I believe it's actually better than the Utility Hardcover because I wrote it a year later and I had you know, another year of kind of thinking through these principles. So it's $2.99. It's kind of a no-brainer in my estimation. And you had a very good co-writer. Yes, indeed. I absolutely did. Erica Campbell Byram, who is the head of digital marketing for homes.com and for rent.com, was the co-author of the real estate book with me. And she is first class smart. Well, that's great. Well, Jay, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Oh, my pleasure. I love what you're doing with this show. It's so smart and such an indispensable resource to people. There's so many new marketing books coming out. And to be able to shine a spotlight on some of them is a, a really fantastic service. And I am delighted to uh, have had a chance to talk a little bit about utility. Well, thanks, Jay. And please keep writing books so I can have more people to interview. (laughs) I got a new one coming. I got a new one coming. It's going to be a little while. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks very much. Cheers. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Links to everything we talked about in this episode are in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And while there, make sure to subscribe to the podcast newsletter so you can get show notes and other goodies emailed directly to your inbox when each episode is published. This episode's show notes include links to articles, books, videos, a SlideShare presentation, and a link to a free Kindle version of the book Jay mentioned in the interview, The Zero Moment of Truth. So let me ask you a question. Read any good books lately? I'd love to hear from you and get your recommendations. Just go to marketingbookpodcast.com and send me a message. Thanks for listening. Take care.